Hello, and welcome to episode 119 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. First, a warm welcome to Amelie R. and Melissa M. to The Modern Manager community. To learn more about the benefits of becoming a member, like our members-only Slack community, group coaching, episode guides, and more, go to themodernmanager.com join. Today's guest is Todd Palmer. Todd is an executive coach, keynote speaker, renowned thought leader, author, and CEO who is committed to helping business owners tackle their obstacles and clear their path to success. He specializes in helping leaders join their mission statement of the organization with their personal core values while addressing fears, self-doubts, and imposter syndrome. He brings a unique blend of authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability to help leaders and organizations achieve their highest goals. Todd and I talk about imposter syndrome, what it is, how it's different from your inner critic, and how to overcome its unhelpful voice. Plus, of course, we talk about how getting past your imposter syndrome can make you a better manager. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Todd. I am excited to talk to you about a topic that we have never touched on on this show, which is imposter syndrome. Ah, yes. One of my favorite topics. I'm excited to chat about it. Well, I'm glad you're excited because I'm nervous, to be honest. (laughs) That, That could be your imposter syndrome flaring. Exactly, exactly. This is something that, you know, it's so funny because I, you know, I fancy myself a little bit of a thought leader, you know, having a podcast and, you know, writing a blog and all those things. And yet I constantly feel like, who am I to be like sharing these things? And, you know, do I have enough experience? Have I done enough research? And, you know, I I haven't had a, a large team. I haven't worked in a giant organization. But I hear from managers all the time, especially new managers, that like they worry a lot about whether people take them seriously, whether or not you know, they are the right person to lead. And, and I never exactly connected all of those things, but really when I was reading about imposter syndrome, I was like, this sounds exactly like the same thing. Sure. And it, it's, it goes even higher than that in organizations. It goes all the way up to the CEO level. It goes all the way up to the founders of most companies. Most of us I would argue 85 to 90% of us at one point or another, or even on a frequent basis deal with imposter syndrome. And just to kind of the kind of create the framework of how I deal with it typically is it's my leaders that I coach who say, you know, I showed up into a room and I couldn't, you know, I knew I was the lowest producer in a sales room, or I knew, you know, from a bunch of CEOs, like these are, these are all awesome people. Why am I here? And, and it's the itty bitty negative committee in their head that meets and tells them that they're not enough, that they're less than, that they're not good enough, that everybody else has it all figured out and they don't know, know anything. And it's, it's that doom loop within their minds that holds them back from showing up as their awesome, authentic selves. So do you see that this, this idea of imposter syndrome is different from your inner critic or is it a component of the inner critic? I think it's a collaborator and a co-author with your inner critic. And 
you know, some, and sometimes too, the, you know, the inner critic can be, you know, helpful if we're being lazy or we're, we're, we're sitting on our laurels or we're not growing and evolving. It's the imposter syndrome that talks us out of taking the next steps forward. It's the imposter syndrome that tells us the messaging of why even bother? You're not good enough. So I think they're really, you know, brothers from, from the similar mother. That makes a lot of sense. And you know, one way that I've kind of thought about it for myself is that the inner critic is telling me that I'm not good at something or like I didn't do my best or I, I you know, I, I didn't do as well as I should have. And the imposter syndrome is telling me you can't do right. it. Right. Like you're faking it. Yeah, and, and wait till everybody finds out how you really have been faking it for all these months, weeks, or years. That's that's the imposter syndrome, where like the inner critic will think about like from a from an academic perspective, the inner critic's going to say to the student, "You've got five A's and you got a C." All they do, your inner critic, is beat you up over the C. That was me. That was me as a student, and that was me as a parent raising my son. And what I failed to realize was that we can't be great at everything. We can't be, you know, most people don't get all A's in all subjects. Those are, those are the rarefied unicorns. But what we do have is we have our own internal strengths. We all have our own zone of genius. Every leader, every entrepreneur, some leaders, for example, are really organized. Some leaders are re- really good at managing people and inspiring people. It's really sometimes very challenging, especially with the entrepreneurs that I work with, to be both the visionary and the execution person. And the inner critic will then collaborate with the imposter syndrome and tie in, well, you should be both sides. You should be both a visionary. You should be as well as the execution person. And then the imposter syndrome will join, join in and say, well, you know, Bob down the street is, is great at both or, or Sue, you know, at your, your meeting can handle both. Why can't you? you? You suck. And that's where it gets really, really toxic. A quick story for you is, I suffered massively personally with imposter syndrome. In 2006, I'd been an entrepreneur for about 10 years. And I you know, had my good years, I had my bad years, but was kind of humming along until you know, I, I really started beating myself up for not being, the I used to call it the oracle, like uh, from the movie The Matrix. I should have all the answers for all the people, for all the problems, all the time. And I was growing, my business was you know, several million dollars at that point. And what I didn't realize is, the rugged entrepreneur, the rugged individualist that I was that started the business, I had outgrown that role and I didn't realize it. I had looked back at it in retrospect that, hey, I'm no longer this rugged individualist. I've got a team of you know, 12 people working for me. And my skills didn't evolve with that. And in that lack of evolution, I didn't learn financial literacy, for example, as the CEO of the company. And I just faked it. And I didn't want to tell anybody, but I didn't know <laughs> what I was doing. And it got so bad, I got $600,000 into debt. I was two months away from running out of all of my money, including losing the house that my son and I were living in. At the time, I was a single dad. So not only was I putting my, my business at risk with my imposter syndrome, I was putting the safety and security of my son at risk that we're going to be homeless. And I finally hit my bottom as an entrepreneur, and I raised my hand, and I finally got a coach to come in and help me. And he helped teach me about my financial literacy. He talked extensively about really the imposter syndrome and to stop listening to it and to pivot off of the things that it was telling me and quiet it. And it's like, he said, you give me the analogy is the imposter syndrome is, dry, is in the driver's seat of the car of your life. You're in the passenger seat. You're never going to eliminate all the imposter syndrome or all the negative self-talk 
just switch seats with it. You drive your life. It's still going to be there in the background. It's still going to be chattering at you, but you don't have to listen to the backseat driver that it's become. And once I was able to create that mental image in my head, then we were able to create plans and processes, focus on intentions of getting out of the debt, not the expectation of knowing how I was going to get out of debt. And we eventually did get out of debt. And we hit a hockey stick moment where we hit this inflection point where the business just took off and we made the Inc. 5000 is one of the fastest growing companies in America six times. And I argue I only was able to get out of the debt and have that great ride of success because I dealt with my imposter syndrome. Wow. I mean, that's an incredible turnaround from what I imagine. It sounds like a relatively kind of simple shift, but probably is a little bit harder to actually, you know, grapple with what that really means to kind of put your imposter syndrome aside and to, to take the reins and put them in the back seats. And that's what I had to reach out and get help for because I couldn't do it myself. And I think a lot of times we as leaders, we as managers, we as entrepreneurs think I have to do it by myself. I have to do it for myself. The reality I find with my leaders that I coach now is often I can get them to do more when I anchor them into doing it for others, whether it's for their families, whether it's for their teams. And I, one of my clients was telling me the story about how when he would drive in his car by himself, he would drive recklessly in a sports car. But when his family, his wife, his children were in the car, he would drive much more safely. And once he told me that story, I'm like, I got you. Let's anchor all the stuff in and how you can do what you need to do for your family because you're not doing it for yourself because you've already told me a story about how you operate the car in a less safe fashion by yourself, but when you've really got something to lose or someone to lose, you behave differently. And many, many, many leaders will do more for their team sometimes than they will do for themselves. And it's that recognition we as coaches can bring to them to help anchor them into really creating not only a, a life by design, a business by design, but also working with the, either their family as a team or their employees or their coworkers as teammates to get where the business or the family needs to go. Ooh, I love that idea. Like sometimes it's around the, it's almost like the motivation, right? How can I overcome this? How can I kind of anchor myself to something that I'm passionate about or I feel dedicated to so that it feels less hard to make those choices? And I get that like for a whole slew of people, and maybe that's just the first step for everyone is to like find the motivation to do the hard, that hard work of shifting. Well, let's, let's stay on that motivation piece for just a second because I had the same exact problem. I said, well, when I get motivated, I'll take action. So I used one coach for six years for my business to help me turn it around. I've used another coach for the last seven years. So I, still, I coach now full-time. I retired from my recruiting company, but I also use a coach and he's a mindset expert. He's a, literally a neuroscientist. And we had the exact conversation about motivation and he's, he's, he can scientifically prove that motivation comes second, action comes first. Every single time people think I, you know, it's like a movie script. Well, you know, the character's got to get motivated and then Rocky takes action or then, you know, Luke Skywalker takes action. No, it's the, it's the first step. And then there's a result of that step and that creates the momentum and that creates the motivation. So I, I, if I can leave your audience with just one thing, it's, it's action first, motivation second. We always have to take action. And often what we will do is we'll, we'll do this thing that Mark Manson talks about in his work called the law of avoidance. We don't take the action because all we want to do is feed into the imposter syndrome so we don't take the action. But we talk a really good game, but we don't actually get off our butts and do what we need to do. And then the momentum occurs. So I'm thinking, for example, like I know when I do my solo episodes on my show that I spend a lot of time 
researching and talking to people and thinking so that what I then share with my audience, I can feel really good about. And someone told me once that I'm basically avoiding, (laughs) I'm delaying, you know, I'm over investing in that process because of imposter syndrome or because of fear that I might say something that somebody disagrees with or that someone has a, a different mental model for. So it's so funny to me that action can be both a, like, what is the action that you need to do to get past this? And also, what are the actions that you need to stop doing to get past it? Right, right, exactly. And I, I think the person who's giving you this counsel might be onto something because I just talked to somebody yesterday. You know, my main business through coaching, my main marketing was to go on stage, talk in front of an audience, someone connects with me in the audience to potentially engage me for coaching services. That was the whole marketing model. Well, with COVID in, in the travel restrictions, that's not currently working right now. And he said to me, he was like, he goes, I loved seeing you on stage a couple of years ago. He goes, I could never do that. And he goes, I, he goes and he's very much um, almost OCD in his preparation for what he does. Now, the great thing is, he's an engineer. He probably should be very prepared. You don't want someone like me, Mr. Visionary Todd, coming in and putting out the vision of how we should you know, design something with 17 pieces missing. I, that is not my unique ability. So in talking with him, I, I pointed out to him, because he was so worried about, you know, if I had to go on stage, I'd have to say part one, say part two, say part three, say part four, and say, say it all in sequence. I said, I used to have the same worry. And someone told me that when you go on stage, the audience is going to remember two or three things you say. Those are the aha light bulb moments that you want to leave them with. They're going to remember the essence of what your talk was. But the most important thing is they're going to remember your energy and how you made them feel in the room. And once I learned that, I took, it took all the pressure of some of the prep work out. It took the pressure of having a, you know, being on a podcast like yours and worrying about saying something silly or mis- misspeaking or, or using some twang or, 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 or butchering a word to remind myself that my, you know, my overall goal in life is to improve lives. That's what I want to do. People never come back to me and say, wow, the, the, you know, the way you say that word really bothers me, or you forgot a little uh, a, a factoid here in step seven of your, of your speech. That never happens. So even I, I would challenge you, is like if you can just get out there and, and share your, your, your magic, your essence, your unicorn abilities, that's what people are going to remember. They're not going to remember, and they might not even always appreciate all the prep you do. So true. And, and I want to bring this back to managers who – I think have a different situation in that their audience, right? Their team is with them all the time. And there are sometimes that imposter syndrome, that those inner forces that are telling you that you can't screw up or you're going to lose the respect of your team. And, you know, you need to show up and, you know, you're supposed to be vulnerable, but like, don't be too vulnerable. Otherwise you're going to, you know, look like a bad leader that doesn't know what's happening. And, that's just, that's a different dynamic at play than when we're kind of like talking into the ethers of a, a broad audience who may or may not continue to be engaged with us over time. Well, and, and I, what I challenge my leaders to do when they have those concerns, because again, they were the same concerns I had. My version was, I didn't want to talk to my staff because I felt the story I would tell myself, the inner dialogue was, I need to have all the answers to all the problems in the business at all the time, and I don't. So when I was turning the business around, one of the first things I learned to do was to show up and part of being vulnerable was to say, if I don't know the answer to something, I'll go find out. What I eventually morphed into and to learn, and this is what I teach my clients, is approach everything with massive curiosity. Because often we as leaders 
assume we know the we we know where the employees are coming from. So let's use a scenario: you're a manager, you could be a manager in retail or restaurant or or, or office or anywhere, and you have an employee who's got a perpetual late problem. The interior story a lot of managers, leaders will tell themselves is, you know, Susie or Johnny doesn't care about the job and they're just blowing us off. Well, that might be true. Let's just say that might be true. They, they don't care about their job. But you don't know that. So one way to find that out is to approach it with massive curiosity. And how we approach it with massive curiosity in a kind and compassionate way is bringing Johnny or Susie into your office in a private space and saying, you know, John, I've noticed you've been late quite a lot lately. and I want to know, are you okay? Is everything okay? And just stop talking. And leaders have a really hard, I had as a leader, had a really hard time with that because I wanted to overtalk it and I wanted to, to make them, reassure them, just sit with it. And John will say, well, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm good or I'm bad or whatever. But by sharing it first and foremost from the essence of your humanity that you care about them as a teammate, as a coworker, even as a friend, that gets the ball rolling. And I teach my leaders, you know, ask the tell me more portion of it anywhere from three to five times before even giving any piece of counsel, any piece of advice, or any piece of redirect. Because often that's where the greatest amount of learning takes place. That's where the diamond is in the conversation. Because often we'll find out, well, you know, yeah, things aren't maybe so good. I have a sick relative at home that I'm caring for, and my relief is perpetually late. So that makes me late. Or I have a childcare issue. Or I have a, you know, I had one client say to me, he, he got into this with one of his workers on the shop floor, come to find out the person didn't have a car and they were catching two buses and the bus schedule changed. I always tell my leaders, whether they're CEOs or location managers or whomever, we only really have two jobs. Our job is to remove bottlenecks within our sphere of responsibility. We just remove bottlenecks. So if someone doesn't have, you know, childcare issues, well, then how can you be of service to help them fix that problem? that's what we do. We as leaders work for our people. They don't work for us. And then the second thing is, if you, especially for CEOs, one of the things I really have to drive the point home constantly is we have to make it easy. We have to make it easy for the employees who work for us to work for us and make it easy for our customers to do business with us. And how do we do that? By removing bottlenecks. So it's a perpetual cycle that can be applied to anybody listening today. I am just in awe of all of that. Like that just makes so much sense. And when you think about it as removing bottlenecks and approaching things with curiosity, right, it, it just completely changes the conversation and reframes what you think you can do about something, right? Like when you are open to seeing your role as being bigger than just how do I help my people get their work done, but really how do I help them be their best, right? How do mm -hmm. I remove mm -hmm. roadblocks? How do I approach this in a way that I can really be of service to them? Like, I just, I love that. Well, and, and then the, the secret sauce about that is it quiets our itty bitty negative committee. It quiets our imposter syndrome because we then realize that we don't have to go into the conversation with John about why he's late constantly with 17 different solutions to his problem because we don't know the problem yet. It takes all the pressure off of us by being curious. And creating that safe, you know, Google talks a lot about this and a lot of the work that they're doing is psychological safety in the workplace. In creating that psychologically safe work environment so John can say, hey, I have an ill parent. I have a childcare problem. I'm going through a, a really bad spot in my marriage, yada, yada, yada. And so that we as leaders can, sometimes the employee will fix their, their own problem right there talking about, well, you know, I hadn't thought about just changing my bus route or, you know what, I'm going to go ask, you know, I'm going to get a loan and get a car or, or I'm going to fix my own problem. But the greatest gift sometimes we can do as managers and leaders is we can see them 
and we can hear them and we can validate what they're going through. We don't have to always solve their problems. I, I'm so just really, really excited by this. And, and I want to shift it back to what we talked about a little bit earlier too around asking for help, right? Because I think that this is the other side of it, right, is the employee, the team member who's showing up late all the time, who isn't asking for help from their manager, right? For whatever reason, they're, they're nervous, they're concerned, they are afraid, they aren't thinking about it, and so they're not asking for help. And how many times we do the same thing, and so we don't show up because we aren't asking for help. They feel like two sides of the same coin. They very much are. And, and you could take that to kids in their homework. You can take that to spouses who aren't getting along. The imposter syndrome just doesn't stop at the office door or the shop floor. The imposter syndrome goes wherever we go. And so, you know, the, one of the, the biggest opportunities within the tragedy of COVID is I've seen so many leaders now asking for help and stepping out from behind the curtain, almost like the Wizard of Oz, you know, like, like don't look behind the curtain because I, I don't want to be seen as I don't have all the answers. I've had more heartfelt conversations with leaders who are asking for help than ever before. I have a, a leader that I work with. She's awesome. She cares about her people deeply. And one of the things I, I cause she, and she doesn't know where her business is going to go. And she doesn't know what her business is going to look like in the next 90 to 120 days. And she's very, she's very, very bothered by that fear. And she doesn't want to talk about it. She doesn't want to talk to me about it. And she doesn't want to talk to them about it. But I did get her to commit to communicate daily with her team. And we're about a week into this, and she goes, yeah, I've sent out seven emails, and I'm not getting anything back from my leadership team. I said, oh, well, I, that's unfortunate. So why do you think that is? What it, send me your email. And I sent, she sends me this email, and it's just, it has no teeth to it. And what I mean by that is it's all fluff without any heart. There's no heart and soul in it. And so I said, well, what did, would you be willing to shoot a 90-second video every day to replace the daily huddle that you were doing when you were on site and you guys were working full time and starting off by saying, I'm thinking of you. I hope you're well. I hope you're safe. I hope you and your family are okay. Here's what I've done to help with the business. I've talked to the bank. I've talked to the lenders, a lot of yada, yada. I talked to our clients and here's the areas that I don't have answers to yet, but I'm continuing to search in. And I just want to let you know that I'm out here and I care about you and I can't wait till we're all back together. She's, she got really quiet. She's like a dynamic personality. And I said, why are you afraid to do that? Uh, and she said, I'm afraid to do that because I don't know what to say. I said, go back to essence, speak from the heart and send it out. She goes, okay, I will. I said, great. This is what a coach does. I said, by when? <laughs> she goes, by today. I said, well, it's, it's only 830 in the morning. By what time today? By nine. Awesome. Make sure you include me on in it because I want to see it. I look forward to seeing it. And I just, that, I ended our call. And she, she, had to, she had to muster up the courage. I mean, going back to, she had to do the action. And she did the action. By 9.30, my phone rings and it's her. She's like, oh my gosh, it so worked. I'm so motivated. So she did the action, then she became motivated. She was motivated because she had been of service to her team. She had been a servant leader and she got videos back from people and, and their videos of employees with their kids stuck at home and massive engagement because she became her authentic self. She spoke from a heart position. And she even had one of her, her, her vice presidents on the line. He goes, he goes, I love the fact that you said you don't have all the answers. And he goes, and I love the fact that you're, I know you will not, you will die trying to get the answers we need for an organization. Please let me know how I can help you. So then she got people to help her out and to rally around it. And it was all because 
She dealt with the issues in a different way. She just didn't communicate in the, in the passive, easy way of email. She went into her uncomfortable place, did the video, and now she does it every morning. Wow. That is so incredible. And I feel like there's so many takeaways that we can have in terms of how are we connecting with our team, right? The power of just speaking from the heart and creating that quick 90 second video, even if it's not a daily practice, but just to do it, you know, once or once a week to say, hi team, I'm thinking of you. It's different than even just being on video calls with people. The creation of that little video is, is so beautiful and powerful. And I love that the response wasn't just, this was great, but it was awesome. How can we help? It's almost like you're asking for help without having to ask for help directly because people want to help when they get excited and they feel cared for. She went from just communicating a message to communicating a message and then creating engagement and it became a two-way exchange. And, and people felt that, again, going back, they were seen and she felt heard. And, and it, you know, the number one differentiator in any business I've ever worked in or any business I've ever owned and the number one problem in any business I've ever owned or ever worked with is always the same thing. It's always people. It's always people. And you know, business is not super complicated for an entrepreneur or CEO if they really peel it away. It's cash, it's strategy, it's execution, and it's staff. Where it gets all messed up or where it becomes super successful is with the people who manage the cash, the people who, who create the strategy, the people who don't execute against said strategy, and the staff who leaves because the people who own or run the company don't see and hear them. So it's always a people problem. Mm. So true. Well, I think this is probably a good place for us to shift gears because we just talked about a lot of solutions to not allow yourselves to have those terrible people problems. So instead of going down that rabbit hole, let's shift gears and have you share a rock star manager that you had the privilege of working for and what made that person so amazing. So, you know, and it's interesting because I hadn't, I mean, I've been my own boss for, I mean, I'll tell everybody, I'm 51 years old. I've been my own boss since I was 27. And I'm thinking of, of two guys. One guy, uh, he's my first boss out of college. His name was Steve. And the second guy was my, my last boss before I started my company. His name was Mike. And the commonality between both of them that made them great was they saw me as a person and they talked to me as a peer, and they were both significantly older than I was. And in Steve's case, he knew that the job that I was working for him in was not going to be my long-term career. It was retail store management, and it wasn't for me for a lot of different reasons. And he still continued, even though he knew I was leaving, he still continued to invest in me as a human being, which I so, so appreciated. And in Mike's case, he was able to to work with me in such a way during some incredibly difficult personal challenges that I've taken the lessons that I've learned from, from both Mike and Steve. And when you know, I had large teams, I would pass some of those things on about being humanistic. And now when I'm coaching my leaders, I will often reference the, the impact those people, those managers, those leaders had on me when I was an employee and try to translate that for my clients so that they know they can have impact with their teams as well. So lovely. And where can people learn more about you, Todd, and the work that you do? Yeah, I, you know, the best place to catch up with me is on my website, and that website is extraordinaryadvisors.com. If someone wants to reach out to me directly, my email address, I'm happy to give it out, is todd at extraordinaryadvisors.com. I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm really easy to find. If someone wants to connect with me, I'm really, really simple to, to locate. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for this incredible conversation. I feel like I have a lot to think about for myself and how I want to show up and ask for help more often. Awesome. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I just loved this conversation. Todd has generously offered a free 30-minute coaching call with one member of the Modern Manager community to help you get unstuck around crucial or difficult conversations, change and adjusting to the new normal, or whatever it is that's on your mind. If you want to be in on that drawing, you must be a member of the Modern Manager community by October 6, 2020. To learn more about membership and to join, go to themodernmanager.com join. And if you work for a nonprofit or government agency, you can get 20% off of any membership level. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. And you'll find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.